0: That was good, wasn't it? I like that. I love beautiful music. I love uh, music that causes you, just like you know, preaching, music that'll cause you to think and ponder and center and focus your hearts on the Lord. I like that phrase in there, the words that is, uh, "Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." That's what we hope for, and one day it's going to happen. The Lord's will. The Lord's will will be done on earth, just like it's being done in heaven. And we're going to see all those promises that he gave us in his word come to pass. Um, I'm grateful to have you here this morning. How many had to... Anybody have to rush out through the rain this morning? Jerry, it was pouring down at our house too. Pouring down when we left the house. By the time I got down to 75, it was just a little... Little fine mist, and it was okay. So uh, I dried out, though. I'm glad for that. Didn't shrivel up or anything. I won't tell you that story. We don't want to go there. Okay, Luke chapter 12. Well, we had a good report this morning. Seth got his uh, passport in. We had to overnight that and expedite it pay a little extra money because we weren't sure if he was going to get it back in time well he's we sent it in on Monday and he had it back by Saturday or maybe even by Friday he said he wasn't sure when they delivered it so we were glad for that so he'll be going along and Tracy Daniels and then me but if we figure between the three of us we can get all those Bibles on the plane and not have to pay any any extraordinary fees you know to... anybody done any traveling since they upped all these fees and everything i mean they they're vicious you get over you go over over 50 pounds on one piece of luggage one they will nail you hard and even now many airlines are charging you fifteen dollars for your first bag twenty five dollars for your second one, in addition over and above your ticket cost and then if you go over 50 pounds it's an extra charge if you add an extra bag as yes, some of them are charged like 200 bucks so We're trying to, between the three of us, I think we can get it all and divide them all up evenly and we'll be safe. Okay, Um, and then we have, uh, I've invited, uh, while I'm gone, I'll be gone, of course, one Sunday, and I was John Bales, who is the USA director for BIMI. That's USA Missions, uh, the church planning division, in other words, or ARM or whatever you want to call it, uh, is going to come speak for us. He'd contacted me about wanting to come by sometime, and so I said, well, that'd be a good time. He also has a project called Reseeding America. And, of course, that's the idea behind USA Missions is they want to, they either go out and have missionaries that are starting new churches. They go to specific areas where they know there's a need uh, and work to plant a church or to reestablish one that's been and the doldrums, or dying, so to speak, and so anyway, I come, I've invited him to come by and preach on Sunday morning and present that ministry, and so I think you'll enjoy him. Um, he could be longer-winded than me, I guess. He's he's pretty he, he he's not known for brevity, and if you think I'm not known for brevity, well, okay. But anyway, I told him we usually try to be done to quarter till, so hopefully we'll make that. Uh, all right, And then we've got oh, and I have and then we have a vacation scheduled. Oh yeah, boy, this is something to pray about too. Um, we had we've had a vacation scheduled for quite some time, uh, third week of September, I think it is, and of all things, I got a summons. In the mail for grand jury duty, and I have to be there at the 14th of September. So I'm happy to make copies of our, you know, our contract that we have where we're going to stay, and and the check, canceled check showing that we've already paid for it, and all this sort of thing. So I wish you'd kind of remember that 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 would kind of flow through okay. I think it will. They're usually pretty good about that. Okay, I guess that's all we got coming up for the time being. Oh, no, we don't either. Then it's the, uh, Is I can't remember the date. Is it the 13th? It's on a Sunday, September 13th. I think it is that Fred Bennett from Titus will be here also and presenting some things on Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and whatever. There was like three things that fall within that time period that week of jewish holidays and so we'll look forward to hearing from him i think you'll enjoy that as well all right luke chapter 12 that's where we wanted to go this morning luke chapter 12 and believe it or not there are um what was it 59 verses in that chapter and well i decided i wouldn't try to cover all of them so if that makes you feel better uh, it's going to kind of a long chapter. I didn't want to hit several things in it, but I do have something I wanted to kind of focus in on. And you have the handout on that. And um, in, in, beginning in verse one, it says, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another he began to say unto his disciples first of all now just from that verse just setting the scene here that there was quite a crowd and when you look at that verse this this phrase innumerable multitude of people um, the word translated multitude would is literally the myriads of people which is the word for 10,000 and then you have of people which is other places, is translated multitude. So what he's saying here is the myriads of the multitude. In other words, quite a large crowd. Probably couldn't be numbered, but it was a huge crowd of people. And in the midst of that crowd, he's addressing his disciples here. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he goes through a discourse there. And as you come to verse 13, it says, and one of the company. Well, back in verse 1 where it says of people, that's actually the same word as translated company over here which would be the word multitude. In other words, one of them, not one of the disciples, but one from the multitude of people said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And here we have this situation that the Lord refused to get involved in. And as we proceed through this passage, we'll see why. And basically, it was simply because it was just an earthly matter. It was something that pertained to the cares of this life. And so he just just refused to get involved. But proceeding out of that, he began to teach the people. And so he said in verse uh, verse 15, He said unto them, that is, them of the multitude, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life, or a man's soul, consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now, of course, this exemplified the attitude of someone who did not look to the future who was not preparing for the life to come. He was simply preparing, preparing for the future of life on earth, not for the life that was to follow. And of course, the way you do that is you just build up your account. Or in his case, you just build up a bigger, a bigger silo, a bigger barn, and hoard it away. And he wasn't talking about retirement here either. He was just simply saying that I have accumulated enough at this point in my life that I don't, I don't need to work anymore. And I can just sit back and take it easy. Now, of all that we've spoken in, in months past and over, even over the last couple of years, we've taken note of the fact that one who claims to be a disciple of Christ has no room in his life to sit back. And just simply enjoy life. There's a process. There's a struggle. There is labor involved in being a disciple. And so the Lord's addressing that issue here. And so in verse 19, this man, when he said, I'm going to build bigger barns, he said, I will say to my soul or my life, speaking to himself within he says, soul, now, he could have just said his name there. He could have said, Alan, you've got enough goods here. you got to lay it up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's what an awful lot of folks are seeking after in this life. They're looking for a way to take their ease and to eat and drink and be merry. In other words, they want to do what the Lord was talking about in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He, this, this is an example of a man who is seeking to save his life. That is, he wanted to preserve what he had so that he might enjoy what the things of this life would give him with no thought whatsoever of the life to come. And therefore he made no provision for it. And so though he had many goods here in this life, he had nothing stored up for the future. As a matter of fact, we see that in the next couple of verses there. Verse 20, God said unto him, thou fool. That's a pretty strong language. To call someone a fool, and the word, and, and the word "fool" there, is, means to be mindless. Un- didn't even consider what he was doing and what it was going to cost him. He said, "Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee." His soul was going to be called to account. He was going to lose it. Not only in physical death, but of course there was going to be the future future prospect of entering the next life empty handed and with nothing. As a matter of fact, you know when he says there, then who shall these things be which thou hast provided was simply to say you can't take it with you, can you? You're going to leave it all behind. And you've, I'm sure you've heard the old saying many times about these couple of guys observing this funeral and a friend of theirs. And one of them said, well, how much did he leave behind? And he said, he left it. The other fellow said he left it all. And you've heard that before. I'm sure he left it all. And we're all, every one of us are going to leave it all. That is of this world's goods. We're gonna leave it behind. But you know what though? That's not the end of the matter. The Lord said in verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Not rich toward God. How do you become rich toward God? Well, it's not by bigging up, building up a bigger 401k or a larger IRA or you know adding more lands and houses and you know gold bars or whatever it might be for the purpose now of course now just look at the context here for the purpose of enjoying this life for the purpose of seeking the goods of this world now The indication from verse 21 is, is that he was not rich toward God and he was laying up treasure for himself. But if you look now, in my Bible, it's kind of, it's really perfect. If I just look at the verse, you know, you got two columns here. If I look at the verse right straight across from that, but yours may not be. Verse 33. In addressing his disciples now here... Now he's talking to the... Well, look at verse 22. Notice he changes now. And he said unto his disciples... Now look down at verse 33. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which have... Or wax not old a treasure in the heavens. Now he's telling his disciples... one out of the multitude here of course it's a parable but he's picturing one out of the multitude he's laying up treasure for himself but you he said you disciples you can lay up treasure in heaven and here's how you do it so that you have and give alms provide yourselves bags which wax not old A treasure in the heavens that faileth not where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. See, that guy that was laying up treasure for himself, he was going to have to guard that. He was going to have to protect what he had for fear somebody else might get it or steal it. Now, back in verse 22, when he said unto his disciples, Therefore say I unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. And again, we have the word soul here, only here it's translated life. Take no thought, he says, for your soul what you shall eat, neither for the body. For the life, for the soul, is more than these things. In other words, more than the daily necessities of shelter, clothing, what you need to eat. And he goes on and talks about the ravens, and they don't have, you know, they don't worry about those things. And God takes care of them. As a matter of fact, the raven is uh, considered an unclean animal to Jews. And yet he said, God takes care of them. Which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? How can you add to your life? How is there anything that you can conceive of in this world as a disciple in order to add on to your life? Now, I don't believe that he meant physical stature here. That's so far removed from the context. But he's talking about adding on to the length of your life. Making it more prosperous. Making it more beneficial to you. In other words, it's the old thing. get out, Getting out of this life all that you can get. It's like I've mentioned this. I believe in the past, the old beer commercial that says, you only go around once in life, so grab all the gusto you can. Not a man that is. But I've heard it on TV in the past quite a few times. But it exemplifies the philosophy of the world. You only go around once in life. There's nothing after this, so you better live it up now and enjoy what life has to give you. And they, just like this, just like this man building his barns, they take no thought whatsoever for the life to come. Now, down in verse, uh, well, he talks about, you know, the, the lilies, the flowers, and how beautifully they're arrayed. And, and even Solomon and all his glory said wasn't as, as beautiful and arrayed like the beauty of a flower. And boy, talk about a, the life of a flower, how temporary that is and how fragile they are. And they don't last very long. And if God can clothe them, He says in verse twenty-eight, "How much more will He clothe you, O ye of little faith?" And that, you know when I looked that up, that was interesting. Little faith. You know what the word is there for the word little? It's our English word, micro. A micro a micrometer measures in you know. Thousands of an inch. Very teeny little measurements. Micro faith. A very small faith. And yet he says God will clothe you. He will take care of your needs. Even for the most minute. Small amount of faith. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. See, now, here's this, again, picture the scene. Here you have this large multitude. And then you have the disciples. And the Lord addressed the entire multitude of people. Now he's addressing the disciples. And when he says, all these things do the nations of the world seek after, he's making a reference back to the multitude. You see, he's building a picture here and painting a division between Who's a disciple and who's of the world? The nations of the world, the multitudes of the world, he said, seek after those things. Now, he says there, your father knows that you have need of these things, but rather, he says in verse, uh, verse 31, seek ye the kingdom of God. Now, you have to know here that the two words, seek, they're based on the same word, but they're not exactly the same. The first one is, has a, prepos, or a, yeah, is a preposition attached to it. It's, it's um, well, let me just put it in English. It's ep, epizeteo. Epizeteo, sorry. Epizeteo. And it simply means epi, just like epinosis the full mature knowledge it adds intensity to the knowledge well it adds intensity to the seeking here he's saying with intensity the nations of the world seek after those things if you had no hope of a life after this one that's exactly what we would all do we would seek after those things wouldn't wouldn't we want to secure the life that we have now I guarantee you I would if I had no hope for a future no promise of a life to come then I'd certainly want to take care of the one I have now by building up securing the goods of this life making sure I had enough for the next day but in this verse 31 it's the simple word zeteo zeteo sorry keep saying it wrong. Zeteo. We are to seek after the kingdom of God. And the word seek there simply means to seek with the thinking. The idea and the context in which this word seek is used is to seek using your mind. In other words, it builds purpose. You've thought it through. You have rationally made a decision. And you're going to seek the kingdom of God. Now, of course, back in Matthew, we know the well-known verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, we know that verse quite well. And as a matter of priority, that's what we're to look after. As a matter of first things first. We should be seeking the kingdom, not the things of this life, not allowing the things of this life to pull on us, to perplex us, to cause us undue stress and anxiety because we don't have this. We don't have that. I sure would like to have this. I see my neighbors got that now. And we just get all worked up about the latest and the greatest. The fanciest, the newest gadget, the latest fashion. But first things first is to seek the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, he he tells them then, you seek God's kingdom first and all these things will be added unto you. What things? Well, your food, your clothing, your shelter. But also the beauty and the glory of the lilies and the grass of the field. And all that attends with them will be added unto you. It's not just the necessities of this life. But it's the glory and the joy, the dignities, the benefits of having given all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now I'd sort of like to do a little more study on this, and I will. But I think it's very interesting. In one verse, he tells us, disciples, to seek the kingdom. But in the very next verse, he says, It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it is a gift. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life or age-lasting life comes how? By the grace of God. The gift of God is eternal life, age-lasting life. It's a gift. But we still have to seek after it. Other words used to describe that are to agonize over it, to labor after it, to want it. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And There's another use of this word seek here, and I know you're very familiar with that one. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, where he says, um, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now the root here is the same word again, zeteo, but it's ek zeteo. And it simply means who seek out by investigation. In other words, it's not just to seek out, not not in the sense of investigation. This is far removed from the context here. So it's not to seek out by investigation to find out, well, is there a God? What's God? You know, what is this whole thing? No, it's it's the idea of here. uh, Remember, this is the chapter on faith. We're talking about people who, Are seeking what the Lord has promised. He is talking about seeking after God to know him. To know the person, God, as he's revealed in the scriptures. He is a rewarder of the one who diligently seeks him. I was speaking with somebody this past week along this a similar vein, I didn't even have this passage here, or any of this in mind, but it seems to me, and I see it over and over again, that there's a constant principle in the scripture with respect to the kingdom. That if we do not persistently pursue it, seek after it, Look for it in the scriptures, in other words. Build our faith upon that which he has promised. You will lose it. In other words, you cannot sit back and enjoy the things of this life and the pursuits of this world while at the same time maintain the kind of faith that the Lord here is talking about. You cannot do them at the same time. Now, we do live in this world, and we are of this world, and we do practice worldly pursuits. I mean, we have to live here. We all have to make a living. We do have to eat. We're not giving those things up. And the Lord's not speaking about doing those kinds of things. He is talking about the pursuit, the seeking after, the agonizing or laboring after the faith, that leads to the promise of the life to come and the things that he said he will give us there that's what he's speaking of and so that's why all these kinds of instructions like this see are directed right at his disciples not at the multitude it's to the disciples and so of course That leads to his conclusion then, sell that you have and give alms and provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches and so on, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, what we treasure, what we value, that's that's where our heart is. Now, when he says sell your alms, and give and, and provide for yourselves bags which wax not old. Of course, that's how you lay up things in heaven. Bags of coins here, well, you know, the moth will get into that. It'll it'll turn to rust. It'll eventually disintegrate, and it can't last forever. I want us to look at something else, just to put this what he's saying here in perspective. Look over at First um, Timothy. <coughs> In chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, Paul's laying a charge here to his uh, young associate, Timothy. And he's telling him, beginning in verse 17. Notice what he says there. He says... Charge them that are rich in this world. Now that's the word age there. Charge them that are rich in this age. And he's talking about Christians here. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, or willing to share... Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time or the age to come. It's the same word translated world up in verse 17. It's the age to come. That. Why would they want to do these things? Why should they be ready to distribute and willing to share and be givers? That they may lay hold on the age, life, that is to come eternal life age lasting life the life of the messianic kingdom and so they have a, They have, a, in other words my point is here the Lord back there in Luke chapter 12 is not just saying go out and just get rid of everything you have if the Lord has blessed us and provided us goods In abundance and the things of this life in abundance more than our necessary needs. Then we ought to be willing to share what he's given us. Because there are some that are not so blessed. There are others. Who have needs of this world's goods. We call them the poor. Sometimes we they might even be homeless. Homeless. No place to go, and feeling very desperate. Now, I think the context here primarily, he's talking about within the body of Christ. Tim, I mean, I'm talking about back here in First Timothy, his instructions to Timothy. He's talking about our fellow believers, fellow seekers of his kingdom, fellow seekers of the life to come in the age to come. Be ready and willing to share or distribute. You know, he told the same thing to the rich young ruler. When he asked him the question, Lord, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life or life in the age to come? The next one, the one after this one. And you remember very well, the Lord said, well, give away what you have and come follow me. Now, I can tell you right now, every one of the disciples, you remember later in that passage, Peter said, well, we've given away everything to follow you. What should we have there for? I can guarantee you all the disciples continued to eat. They all had a place to sleep. They had clothing. In other words, I'm trying to say they didn't give everything they had away. They didn't live lives of poverty. And the the prime example that we have of that following upon the Lord's teachings concerning that is if you go to Acts chapter four, where it says that the, the disciples and the church sold the goods that they have and they gave it away. And all of that was within the context of the new formed church and that body of believers and some who had some very desperate needs. And they just simply sold their excess properties. Some owned them because there was a need. Now, that doesn't mean you need to run out and sell if you own a lot somewhere. I'm not saying you need to run out and sell that today. What I'm saying is, is that when a need arose and it was made known and they had the ability to meet that need, then that's exactly what they did. You know, it remains to be seen through the eye of faith just exactly what giving up those things that we could have now will mean in the life to come. I'm just going to sit here and tell you right now, I wouldn't mind having a new car right now. Actually, it wouldn't even have to be new, just a newer one. But I sit here and I think about that. Now in the life to come, in the age to come if I go out and labor and work and do what I need to do to get another car, a newer one and someday I probably will but if I'm just sitting here laboring to get that just because I want one what is it going to profit me? We all have to just simply ask ourselves those questions. I don't have the answers for you. And I'm not making any wholesale, wholesale across-the-board statements here. You know, in other words, each one of us individually as disciples, we have to know where we stand before the Lord in those things. And we all have to make our own personal judgments. But I am saying the very clear word of God is instructive as to what we're to do with what we have. And we can't make any mistake about that. He moves on to talk about the readiness of disciples, the preparedness of disciples when the Lord comes. He tells them there in, in the 35th verse, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and you, ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord when they, he will return from the wedding, and when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him. How? Immediately. There's no saying, Lord, wait just a little bit. I'll be ready. But first, I've got to go bury my mom and dad. Or I've got to go back and tend to my farm, which I just bought. Or I've got a new bride and I need a little bit of time. You know, we've, there, those excuses are given in Scripture of those whom the Lord invited to his wedding feast of his son. And they all began to make excuses. And he's telling us we need to be ready immediately when he knocks to be ready. Ready to go. Happy, he says, blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he comes shall find watching. Truly I say unto you or verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. They're going to be rewarded. Rewarded for their faithfulness because when he came, And when he knocked on the door, they immediately let him in. They were ready for him. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third and find them so blessed or happy are those servants. Now you see on on the sheet of paper I gave you, I highlighted the words those and those in verses 37 and 38. (coughs) In verse 39. But this know that if the goodman of the house, now the, word, the goodman is just the master of the house or the steward, the one who is the head of the family, whoever's in charge. He says, if he had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken into. Be therefore ready also for the son of man cometh at an hour when you think not. Now, those two verses, you see the notes I put in there on the sidebars. If the master knew the hour of the thief's arrival, he would have just simply watched. He'd have been sitting there with the gun in his lap and waited for him. He'd have been prepared for his arrival, knowing that he was going to come to steal his goods. But in verse verse 40, he says, you disciples, ye be ye ready also just like he would be ready he says for the son of man cometh at an hour you think not since they do not know since the disciple has no idea when his lord may return then we're supposed to all be ready aren't we at all times again just to repeat there's no sitting back there's no taking it easy but always be ready. In verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Well, the picture here is simply of a of a servant in a household who is faithful. And when the lord of that house, the master of that house, acknowledged his faithfulness. What he's going to do here is he's going to put him in charge. He's going to make him the ruler over the household to make sure everybody gets fed at the proper time and everyone has their provisions. But notice what he says then in verse 43. Blessed is that servant you notice the change from verses 37 and 38 where it's those servants but now he's changing to an individual one specific servant and he says if that servant he says whom his lord when he cometh shall find so doing he's happy happy is that servant if he's been faithful if he's if he's been appointed ruler or master steward in the house he's a happy guy of a truth i say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has but in verse forty five he says then but if that servant that same servant if that servant then he says is not faithful but he says in his heart my lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken the lord of that servant he says the master of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers or the unfaithful now i drew a line or a circle Connecting verse uh, 42 and verse 46. And you'll notice there the Lord, when he says, who then is that faithful servant compared to that servant, which is not faithful. And that's exactly what this word is. is. It's, when he says unbeliever, he's talking about the, the unbelieving in faith some actually translate this verse or this word and say we'll appoint him his portion with the unfaithful. Or other places in the New Testament is translated as the faithless. It's ah, pistis, Those without faith. Look with me at 1st Timothy 5 8 for again I didn't think about telling you to keep your finger there but 1st Timothy 5 8 we were in 1st Timothy 6 now we'll go back to 1st Timothy 5 and interesting verse here but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house he hath denied the faith And is worse than an infidel. Well the word for infidel there is. Worse than the unfaithful. Worse than an unbelieving person. He's denied the faith. Also. Look over with me all the way back to John chapter 20. And verse 27. Just to give you an idea. Of how this word is used. (coughs) The context in which it's used. In John chapter 20 and verse 26. He says there, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold thy ha- my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. In other words, faithless is the opposite of the one who's believing. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Don't be without faith now the point of this passage right here is is that this guy was a disciple and at, up to that very point he was faithless regarding the resurrection but when the Lord said see the prince in my hands the hole in my side he said don't be faithless Thomas but believe be believing in the resurrection. Have faith, in other words, in my resurrection, my life. And of course, by having faith in the resurrection, then Thomas could have hope in his own resurrection and the life to come. And so it is for all of us. We are not to be like this servant here who be who turned, Because he knew it was going to be a long time before the Lord's return. And if you want to look at that, go to Luke chapter 19 where there's a parable there about how the Lord went into a far country. And he assigned all of his servants duties and talents to to track. And when he came back, he gave an account. But he was going to be gone a long time. And this picture here, this servant... When he says, my Lord delays his coming, he knows he's going to be gone a long time. He said, I really don't have to be on my toes because I know he's not going to call me to an account today. But yet, like the rich man with the barn, who laid all everything up and thought he was okay, he didn't know when his time was going to come. And because we don't know, because we don't know the day of the Lord's return, nor the hour we're to be ready also. Ready at all times. And, of course, that requires us to be ready with everything that we have. I better stop there. Well, I guess I should mention my little box here, down here from Thayer. Thayer about the un- unbelievers he's you know one of the translations he gives or the meanings for that word he says is unfaithful, faithless but that little that word in the parentheses there not to be trusted. That's what it is for a person without faith is somebody that the Lord cannot trust and they're not to be trusted and he won't trust them with his goods, he will not trust them with his positions of responsibility in the age to come. That's why we have to be ready. That's why we have to be prepared. And I'm telling you right now, sometimes I wonder, <laughs> am I ready? You get caught up in things of this life sometimes and you get so distracted. And, you know, it's always refreshing to get back to the word of God and be pulled back in to the whole mindset and realm of what it means to have faith in christ and i trust that you have that kind of faith today and let's work to maintain it dear lord we pray that we will be faithful and lord we we plead and pray for the strength and the grace that you've promised to give to those that seek you that we would be able to endure the trials and the testings of this life and just the, the the things that life brings us just by being here in this world. Lord, help us to keep our minds focused on that age to come and live with that in view. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.